some people don't believe in receipt games. Others will just simply say, eh, it's another game on the calendar. Uh, not this time. Not this go around. Last time South Carolina was a point of emphasis, they were eliminating Tennessee from the college football playoff hunt with a demolishing of Hendon Hooker-less volunteer rosters. And, well, it's taken us to what's going to be Saturday night, dark mode, under the lights at Neyland Stadium. Let's just get into it. You guys know the gentleman to the left, Noah, the guy to the right, Ryan. You guys are subscribing to the Vol Report to read their writing, their feet in the facility. I'll get started with you, Noah. I thought this was going to be a week where maybe some of the players would chime in just a touch about what last year did to them. But for the most part, you can't look at last year, end quote. This is a new team, end quote. There have been small mentions, but not maybe the overkill that I expected to happen. Your overall thoughts on how Tennessee's approaching this, don't call it a rematch, but call it a step in the right direction in the SEC East. Yeah, I think the coaching staff has to be pretty pleased with the way the players have handled it, certainly. Um, I, I'm kind of with you. I thought this week we, we may hear a slip-up here or there, and, and maybe guys get cornered and, and you know give their true feelings because I, I think we all know that it's hard to not – think about this game with last year's memory attached to it but uh i think overall the guys have said the right things i, I again I, I think that they that game is kind of on the forefront of their minds or probably it has to be a little bit with the way it transpired and just what it meant uh for tennessee knocking them out of the playoff obviously Hinton hooker getting hurt but I, I think overall the guys have handled it really well this week and they they haven't really they certainly haven't given south carolina any bulletin board material ryan when you look at Tennessee as a whole right now, is it hard to believe that we're talking about this again less than 10 months later? Look, for anybody who, as a 37-year-old who's been around this program, whether following them growing up around here, I, I'm one of those guys. I'm not, I'm not the biggest old-schooler tradition guy, but to me growing up, Florida's always the first game out of the gate for SEC play. You always play Carolina Halloween week, and then you wrap up with Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Clearly, tradition's been thrown out the window. We're seeing that with conference realignment. South Carolina, twice in less than 10 months. I think Tennessee fans couldn't ask for a better game to have for the dark mode showdown coming up Saturday night under the lights. Yeah, the, the South Carolina game, I, I did uh, our opponent preview with Alan Cole of South Carolina's rival site. One of, one of the questions I asked him was, it's been interesting to see this kind of budding rivalry. Of course, they've played each other for a while now, but it seems recently that there's been that kind of animosity between the fan bases. So I asked him his perspective on his side of it, and it seemed very similar to Tennessee's where there's there's real dislike to South Carolina from Tennessee fans. And South Carolina, South Carolina fans really don't like Tennessee fans. And it's become one of those interesting new age rivalries that, that's popped up. And – it's not going to be one that sticks around maybe because of the new scheduling that they're going to next year. But th this is a game that I think a lot of people had circled on their calendar and Tennessee fans, the, the team might be saying that they don't care about last year, but Tennessee fans care about last year and it's going to be a sold out stadium. And with the black jerseys, it'll be an interesting one on Saturday. You know, I want to come back to what you just said in, in a few minutes, Ryan, because it's actually going to tie this whole episode together with the three of us. I, will, I look at South Carolina this year, and look, I'm the type of person, for anybody who listens locally to me on The Animal, um, when I'm wrong, 
I'll admit that I'm wrong, and, and, and I'd like to issue one of those mea culpas right now if I can. I thought Florida State was vastly overrated being a top-10 team to start the season, and all they've done is just gone through and eliminated every person in front of them, in particular LSU and then now Clemson. Somebody asks me out of the gate when we were at SEC Media Days, is Spencer Rattler the best returning quarterback in the SEC? And I immediately shot it down, just a knee-jerk reaction. I said, no, 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 no. But then when you started looking around the SEC, maybe Jaden Daniels, because of the team that they had and where they went last year to the SEC title, first year under Brian Kelly, I then caught myself maybe saying, okay, can you really count Jalen Milrow with Bryce Young, not really, because he had a couple of appearances. But when you look around at it, I mean, that was a pretty solid performance that he had last week against Mississippi State, come from behind fashion. Will Rogers, you immediately have to take him down a peg because it's not the same system without the late great Mike Leach. I ask you this question already issuing the apology or the slip up. Has Spencer Rattler been the best returning quarterback in the SEC? It's maybe a little unfair to ask it with now a third of the season behind us. But this guy is completing passes at a 75% clip. I cut off the Jets game on Sunday of how bad that was and said, you know, no, no, I'm going to rewatch the Mississippi State game from last night. Guys, he's only thrown 33 incomplete passes. How can Spencer Rattler not be the best quarterback not return just from returning from last year, but what we've seen thus far this year, it has to be it, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, and it, keep in mind the offensive line he's playing behind. You know, I, I think that North Carolina oh. game, I, oh. I can't even remember how many times he was sacked in that game. Watch that one on the way back from, nine, from you know, season opener against Virginia. And it was just like they, they were still in that game in large part because of him. And, it's, and it was that way against Georgia as well. Obviously, they had the 14-3 lead there that yeah. slips away from them. But even when Georgia has the second half that they have, it had South Carolina knocking on the door and making that a game again late. Um, so I, I would agree. I think right now he would have to be. Um, I'm with you. I wouldn't have thought. I thought the last three games of last year, when you obviously the Tennessee game, then the way he played against Clemson, Notre Dame and the Gator Bowl, which was a loss, but still South Carolina kind of had that one won as well. I, I thought overall, you know, that was maybe a little bit of a flash in the pan. We would see Spencer maybe revert to where he looked like for the most part of last year. And he has – we, we said that beginning of the season. I think we wrote our opponent previews. He's going to have to carry over what he did in those last three games for South Carolina to be good, and clearly he's done that. And I think it'll be a tremendous challenge for Tennessee on Saturday if he keeps playing that caliber. He's going to have to have some help being on the road, obviously, because um, that, you know, that, that offers all, all kinds of challenges as well. But I, I do think right now he is the best quarterback in the league. It, Ryan, I have to assume you share the same sentiments. Yeah, going into the year, it, it felt like it was maybe a fluke at the end of last year and the inconsistencies. I would have agreed with you at SEC Media Days that there's no shot. It's it's him. I would look to Jane Daniels. My pick for uh, SEC preseason first-team quarterback was K.J. Jefferson. I, I think there were a handful of guys that I would have put above him going into the year. But – We'll see how it plays out by the end of the season. But at this point, I don't really think you can make an argument that it hasn't been him. I mean, more touchdowns than incompletions last week. That's a pretty remarkable stat. Uh, not not one you're going to see a lot in, in the SEC. So we'll see where he ends up. I'm still not confident that he's going to be – that he's the shoe-in for first-team All-SEC quarterback, offense player of the year. I'm not there yet. 
But up to this point, it's hard to argue against him being the top QB in the SEC right now. At Noah Ryan Tyler here for the checkerboard chatter. Guys, when I say this, Will just ripped me to shreds. <laughs> Listeners have kind of ripped me to shreds. Minority have been in my favor, but maybe that's just the diehards who kind of still have the bad taste of Florida in their mouth from a few weeks back. Didn't help, too. They struggled against Charlotte last week. That was a, a, just a, kind of a, a peculiar setting down in Gainesville. If I'm wrong, say I'm wrong. That's why I love doing these things with you two, because you guys have no problem throwing center blocks at me if it just seems <laughs> off base. If Tennessee loses this game on Saturday and they start 0-2, I think their season is over. And let me explain myself. Yes, I get it. There's still so many games left, seven to be exact. But if you go into an open date where you have to sit on a loss at home to a team who less than 10 months ago derailed you from the college football playoff and only Josh Heupel's second year, yeah, the message and the note card that was put in the headphone box Joe Milton handed out to his teammates and said, let's go out and win the East. Guys, I I can't see the, – the older generation who watches this right now has probably already clicked off the video because they're like, here goes Ivan's trying to add some sizzle to the pan. I'm not, but it's really, really hard – even with wins against maybe Bama, Georgia, A&M, combining those wins or two out of those three wins to look at the season and go, man, you lost a game at Florida. You guys should have won by more than one score. And you got a Carolina team who has seven offensive linemen out. Shane Beamer told us that on our station. Both of his starting tackles not available. Even though he hasn't been the most impressive receiver on his team this year, Juice Wells will not be playing in this game against Tennessee. This is one of those matchups, much like Florida. You check all the boxes on the tail of the tape like a boxing fight. But, man, this is just – I don't want to call it must win. I don't want to call it game of the year. But if you're on the wrong side of that final score, guys, it's going to take a lot for Tennessee fans to be like, we're okay, we're okay. This is kind of in that territory, and that's just me here. Yeah, I think when you look at the schedule, you see opportunities on there. Obviously, like you alluded to, you got Texas A&M, Georgia – Kentucky and, and then Alabama, obviously. And right now those those look like manageable games, obviously. But I think if you lose that game, it, it's tough to spin that and and be able to look down the road and be like, okay, we lost the South Carolina at home, but we still have an opportunity to do this, this, and this. The East may be out of the picture, but, you know, eight wins, nine wins, get to a solid bowl. But I think the biggest issue is going to be if you lose the South Carolina at home, then you'd have to guess that a lot of the – problems that have persisted through the first four games are going to bite you again. And if it's, we're what, five games in after South Carolina and it's still a problem, it's going to be hard to look at being able to beat Texas A&M, which I know Connor Wagman's out. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But, you know, Max Johnson's a very capable backup quarterback right. coming in here to Neyland. And then, you know, Alabama's on the road, Georgia, Kentucky. I mean, I, I just think it's going to be hard to look at those games in a positive light and be able to kind of work up any kind of momentum at least as a fan and an outsider, if you're going to have the same struggles you've had in the first four games against South Carolina and lose to them at home when you have everything working in your favor there. And I, I think it's fair to say it's a must win. I, I really do because if you start this season 0-2 in SEC play in two games that going into the year, I think pretty much everyone thought you would win both of them. And now the SEC East is officially off the table you're probably staring down the barrel of a seven and five, eight and four year if you can't beat South Carolina. 
I, I think it's fair to call it a must win just to even keep fans interested in the season. Of course, it's Tennessee. People are going to watch every game, but the casual fan might tune out if you don't win this South Carolina game. And, and I, I really think it's fair to say that this is a game Tennessee must go out and win. You know, it's funny. I was just looking at Joe's numbers going back and forth, and the most attempts that he's had in a game this year were 34, and that was the opener against Virginia. Tell me if this stat sounds familiar, but trading places with certain teams. Currently, South Carolina ranks 127 in pass defense this year in all of college football. Uh, a secondary who needs a little bit of help. Uh, low-hanging fruit, if Tennessee's actually going to sit here and try to go, in my opinion, toe-to-toe with South Carolina, I think this might be the week we start seeing more vertical passing from Joe Milton, putting that ball more up and down the field. And, and I know they love screens. I know they love bubbles and tunnels. Guys, if you're going to beat South Carolina, you're going to have to go up the field because, as we've already touched on early, uh, Ryan, uh, Mr. Spencer Rattler has no problem going. Third and 18. All right, cool. Let's go. Yeah. When I looked at this matchup on paper at first, what stood out to me was the run defense of South Carolina and the run offense of Tennessee. But when you hear Shane Beamer talk about how Josh Heupel is probably watching that Mississippi State game, licking his chops about what he can do through the air. And when I talked to Alan Cole, the South Carolina reporter, his biggest concern for South Carolina was Joe Milton taking the top off the defense. I think that starts to put into perspective what the real way Tennessee could do damages, which is getting the ball down the field. Of course, you're going to see those screen passes. That's I've seen a lot of people complain about how often Tennessee runs these bubble screens to wide receivers. That's a part of Josh Heupel's offense. You're going to see that every single time. Mm -hmm. And they're picking up good yardage with it, so I don't see an issue with that. But I think we are going to see a little bit more of, hey, let's try to get Ramel down the field. Let's try to get Squirrel White open and have something where you're putting stress on a on a a high safety and maybe you can get something down the field and trust joe's arm a little bit one it's you need to do it to win two i don't think south carolina is very comfortable with their secondary in defending that so you mentioned spencer rattler on the other side he's been able to get it done i think tennessee definitely needs to step up and be able to do it on their side too if they want to win vertical noah it's got to be vertical and that's one thing i don't think i'll have to apologize about next week yeah, and I, I think, you know, you've seen it open up a little bit here lately, too. You go to the Florida game and that first drive, you know, Joe hitting squirrel deep and then having the touchdown to Ramel. And then, obviously, UTSA, you build that first half, which the best half of football that that Tennessee offense has put together this year, in my opinion, when you're up 31 nothing, You saw a lot of that vertical passing game look a little bit like it did last year. And I, I agree with Ryan. I think that's something that's going to open up a little bit more on Saturday. Call it a hunch, call it a whatever it is. I expect Cooper Mays to make his start, his first of the year for the University of Tennessee coming up. And I know a lot of people have been saying, well, we've been hearing that a long time. I think if there's any time that somebody has recovered from what the procedure, which it's pretty much been put out there now, what that procedure was, very painful, and it probably needed a couple of extra weeks on top of Virginia, Austin P. Florida to get Cooper Mays ready. I'll start with you, Noah. How do you even start to align an offensive line that one is going to need a very powerful run game? One we'll get into after this, but what does your offensive line look like if, in fact, Cooper Mays does, in fact, make his first start of the year under the lights Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, it's got, I mean, made some strides last week, but bringing Cooper back will be huge for them. Um, 
yeah, I mean, uh, Ryan's kind of been my go-to guy on on the, on the offensive line. I know that's something he's focused a lot on this year, and and just the well, rotation. Really, so really, what the question is, where do you, what do you do with Ollie Lane? Because do you like what Couric has done at the guard position? John Campbell Jr. Does he make a return at left tackle? We saw a couple of different lineups that ran out there against UTSA. Ryan, what do you do with Ollie Lane, who has done a better than admirable job filling in for 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 Cooper Mays? Heading into the season, everything we heard is that if you have a healthy Cooper Mays, they want to put Ollie Lane at guard ahead of Carrick. The issue is Carrick hasn't necessarily played bad. Right. But when you look at the tackle position, we've talked about this before. I think Gerald Mincy could make the case that he's been the best performing tackle, yet it's been John Campbell and Jeremiah Crawford ahead of him at the tackle position. So I really don't know what Heupel's going to do. Is there going to be a rotation? I hate rotations on the offensive line. That's just yes. me. I want five guys out there every single down. But we've still seen that up through four weeks of the season where they're still rotating all three tackles. So it'll be interesting to see if they ever figure out what five they want to go with. You would think they need to at some point. But Ollie Lane's made the case he should start at guard, but it's not some – easy switch like Carrick's been bad by any means so do you go off of the production Carrick's seen or do you go off of kind of how you felt in the preseason is the question uh, the question that I think will be the most difficult to answer especially from a Tennessee fan standpoint is how does Dylan Sampson continue to factor into the role in the backfield you assume Jalen Wright based on the comments made Thursday by Josh Heupel he's healthy and ready to go Feels like a very squirrel white would have returned against Virginia had the score been different situation. I'm not big on feeding off Instagram posts, but uh, two weeks ago when he didn't get into the Florida game, you had the cheetah in the cage waiting to be, look, read into it, whatever you will when it comes to Dylan Sampson. It's funny because when I watched Sampson play before the Florida game, I thought, man, this guy needs to improve on his pass blocking. And then what do we hear from Jerry Mack? Well, there are some situations where pass blocking needs to be crisp to start seeing more. Some people would say it's a lazy excuse that they just mismanaged him. I, I agree with Jerry Mack. This isn't me yeah. carrying water for a coach. I saw the same thing and went, man, Dylan Sims is explosive, but he's got to hold his block longer whenever Joe's back in shotgun. How do you even begin to factor Dylan Sampson in? And is this going to be one of those factors of ride the hot hand? Because, guys, if you break down both his catches and his runs, this guy is scoring a touchdown a little over every six times he touches the football, both on the ground and through the air. Do you go with the hot hand? And is this just another one of those good problems to have when it comes to the rotation in the running back room? I I think it's, you know, a good problem. And I think they were, you know, Jerry Mack, we got to talk to him this week, was asked, you know, I think Jabari Small was as well on the same day. What's Do you have a sense of what that rotation is going to look like, you know, or who may get the most carries before the game? And, and both Jerry Mack and, and Jabari Small, and maybe they've got a really good poker face, but we're both genuinely like, we don't know, you know. And it, it's kind of shown, you know, you had Dylan, obviously against Virginia, had the four TDs, but really it was Jalen getting most of the production there. Um, and then Jalen, you know, kind of most of the way until last week when you had – uh, Dylan, and then last year Jabari had moments like that as well. Um, it's hard to argue against putting Dylan in there with the week that he had and what he's been able to do with a lot. I know against Florida, he didn't get any carries, uh, but the games that he's been a factor in or gotten a, gotten the ball a lot has been huge for Tennessee. And it, it's kind of hard to argue of, of not continuing that this week. I mean, I guess it depends. They they like to say the flow of the game on who's going to get the ball, but uh, it's hard to argue after what. Um, 
Dylan has been able to do uh, the last week and, and in that Virginia game as well, it's hard to argue to not give him the ball more this week against South Carolina. Every phone call, it seems, that we've taken, Ryan, on the running back room is – Fill in the blank. College could pay NIL money to get Dylan Sampson off that sideline. NIL, NIL, NIL. But that's the free agency of college sports that we live in now these days. I don't think Dylan Sampson's going anywhere, but it would also behoove Tennessee to use his skill set when that guy right now is running like white fire in the backfield. Yeah, I I haven't gotten the feeling that he's sitting here getting upset about his playtime and is thinking about hitting the portal. That hasn't been at the top of my mind, but I agree with you. You said it, it's more so get him on the field because he's been so productive than get him on the field so he doesn't leave. The yeah. pass blocking is an issue. The pass blocking does scare me. Uh, and that's what comes with age, though, a little bit in older guys like Jabari and Jalen, that they've been here. They kind of know more what to do. And I'm sure that's something that Dylan can improve in throughout this season and throughout his career. But when someone's running the ball that well, when someone's getting passes out of the backfield and, and scoring touchdowns and just being a dynamic playmaker that's been a nightmare for defenses, you have to get him on the field in some form. I understand the issues that Florida presented that held him off the field, but I think you got to get him a touch or two and, and see what he can do and see what he can give you. I expect him to to possibly be the first back off the bench if all three are healthy. We've seen that before where they've gone to him as that second guy and, and kind of pushed Jabari to that third slot just because of how dynamic of a playmaker he is. If that offense needs a push, he could be the answer. Yeah, there's a lot of people comparing it to the Jalen Hurd-Alvin Kamara situation that happened about a handful of years back. And even though I think it's a little different, there are some similarities where I can see people point into it. The last couple of minutes here with Noah and Ryan. Ryan, I'll get started with you. When I first look, and I understand that sometimes sports gambling, some people go, you either love it or you hate it, you ignore it any other way. But what I explain to people is, even if you don't play numbers, even if you're not a Vegas person, the spread usually tells a story. It at least gives you an indicator of why they're feeling the way that this should go. When that came out as an 11-and-a-half-point favorite in favor of Tennessee, I, I actually coughed on my water. I was drinking it when I was scrolling through my – I went, what? What? When you initially saw 11-and-a-half, as of right now, I checked it before we actually hit record, it's 12-and-a-half points right now, and it's still going in favor of Tennessee. Has Tennessee shown you enough this year? And have you seen, I guess, fewer production from South Carolina that makes you believe – Oh my goodness, people believe this is a 12 and a half point spread. I believe in revenge. I believe in receipts. Brother, but is in your eyes, is Tennessee two scores better than South Carolina right now? In the preseason, I would have said, yeah, 12 and a half, 11 and a half sounds about right as a preseason spread for that game. Through four weeks of the season, that was a shock to me. I, I absolutely yeah. did not think it would be a double digit spread in the favor of Tennessee. I assumed Tennessee would be favored. I assumed it would be by more than a field goal. Yeah. But I thought it would sit at around five to seven, four to seven, somewhere in that range, I thought would have been a, a fair number. But like you said, it tells a story sometimes. And the fact that it's continued to get moved in Tennessee's direction has been also surprising to me. But I guess a lot of people are looking at the the kind of the matchup situations that we talked about earlier where Tennessee's been extremely effective on the ground. South Carolina hasn't done a good job stopping that. Tennessee has the opportunity to take advantage of Joe Milton's big arm and some dynamic receivers, and South Carolina's defense 
has been struggling that aspect. And Tennessee's defensive line has done an incredible job at getting to the quarterback uh, most of the time this year. Well, South Carolina's offensive line is horrific and possibly the worst in the SEC. So maybe it's it's the matchup that's presenting this line a little bit, but that was absolutely not something I expected. Personally, I think Tennessee wins this game by probably seven to ten points and doesn't cover. But, I mean, Vegas knows more often than not, it feels like. So uh, maybe I'm just maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong here. Uh, and I've donated plenty of money to the Lost Children of Las Vegas Fund, clearly yeah. with those buildings that are 60 stories high sometimes. Noah, are you buying into Tyler Barron's hot start this year? Rodney Gardner back in fall camp said he's buying into Tennessee football, not into Tyler Barron. And if you, at the end of the season, look at Tyler Barron's stats, they're going to be reflective of how well Tennessee did record-wise on the football field. He's already matched his single-season high in sacks with the drop he had against UTSA over the weekend. I'm making Tyler Barron the clear person to watch. If Spencer Rattler's going to have a nightmare time, it's going to have to be because of Omar Norman Lott. He looks like a guy who wants to pr- essentially inflict violence on somebody. Same with Amari Thomas, but in particular off the edge. If I'm Rattler, every time I go to the line of scrimmage, I'm looking over the tall guy and going, where's nine? There's nine. Tyler Barron, to me, this has to be – if he hasn't already had a – he hasn't already had a stamp game, the stamp game probably needs to come from the local product at Senior Edge. Is it not – yeah, I, I think this is the game to do it, given, you know, what you've said and what Ryan said as well with, you know, the offensive line struggles for South Carolina. That It's kind of setting up for a big one for, for Tyler Barron to kind of feast. And you're talking about buying into him. I, I do. And we talked to him this week. And, you know, Rodney Garner, he reiter, he reiter, uh, sorry, reiterated that, um, reiterated that, you know, this week that Tyler Barron has kind of changed his approach. And, Tyler said himself that it, it's been more consistency and that whether that be yoga at the beginning of the week, showing up to therapy sessions, stretching, whatever it is, and, it, and it's really paying off. And it'd be one thing to hear that from a guy, but you're right. I mean, the numbers are matching it right now and, and already, you know, topping that sack total that he's had. I remember at the beginning of the season, you know, we were looking over, I think I was talking with Ryan about this and looking over some guys, some potential impact guys, and I'd be a little bit surprised you know, the lack of, of impact that he had made uh, before this year. But it's certainly paying off now. And I think, yeah, this is setting up for him to have a big game. And Tennessee really needs it, you know, from him. Um, it, it's one thing to do it against Virginia, UTSA. It's going to be huge for Tennessee if he, if he can get to Rattler and just kind of make him have a really long night on Saturday. It's the final five. Ryan and Noah joining us here. Ball report on the checkerboard chatter. Ryan, you brought something up. I teased it and said that we were going to get to it. And I'm glad that you mentioned it because I think this is a very fair question. When we were talking Florida this week, excuse me, last week, two weeks ago, there were people that were concerned that this could be Tennessee's final trip to the swamp for some time because in 2025, we're going to start seeing those common opponent rotators with the inclusion of both Oklahoma and Texas. The indication we were given, now this can change at any moment. It's kind of just like what you eat for lunch and dinner. It changes every night. But the last we heard from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey was, here's an idea of who the three common annual opponents would be in this scenario. Bama, Vanderbilt, and then it was a question of whether or not Kentucky's border war stays or if South Carolina is going to be Tennessee's new opponent. That was just kind of put together in the whisper, whisper, whispers. 
Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be Florida, and there's some people who are chaffed that the Gator rivalry is going to go away, at least on an annual basis. If, in fact, it is South Carolina that stays, and if, in fact, South Carolina is that annual common opponent that sticks with Vandy and Alabama, do you believe that this is turning into this new right? Nothing's worse than seeing a conference at a team and they force feed you a rivalry. Like some of these games I watch, they're like, they're playing for this. Congratulations. They're playing for the old beer Stein. When was the last time they played like 1914? Like that's stupid. Don't even try to sell us on rivalries. But when you look at different sports, women's basketball, baseball, and now football, do you believe that Tennessee South Carolina is turning into that new blood rivalry? Cause you've already said it South Carolina fans and Tennessee fans, when they see each other in a restaurant, well, let's just say they're not picking each other's tabs up. I'll just say that. Yeah. I, I think you hit on a, a big deal with it too, where it's not just football. Of course, the last two years have been super interesting, kind of flipping the blowouts women's basketball. Those are two of the premier teams in the entire country. Baseball. Now both two of the most premier teams in the country. Men's basketball is really the only one that you look at, and it's just extremely lopsided, and South Carolina has, has just fallen way behind the rest of the conference. But when you look throughout a lot of other sports, they've kind of butted heads there too, which I think helps the case. But for a team like South Carolina that maybe isn't phenomenal at football every year but has always given Tennessee a good run for their money in the last decade or two, I think that there there is a lot of potential, especially if they end up being that every year opponent when you only get three teams every year, that, that that'll be a serious rivalry. I think that'll be looked at as as one that's not one of the forced ones where it's Missouri and Arkansas and you're sitting there scratching your head about if they actually care about each other. Tennessee and South Carolina, especially if that is one of the only three games that you get on a yearly basis. That is going to be one that fans and the program wake up for every single year and are excited to play. I went on vacation in South Carolina, Noah, and I was asking somebody where a local establishment was while I just climbed out of my car with my Knox County, Tennessee plate parking. And a gentleman goes, yeah, you don't want to go there. You want to go to – and he was trying to sell me on a couple other establishments. I think he wanted me to get shanked in an alley somewhere just because of what <laughs> my plate said. I kid, of course – but even two of my closest brothers, guys that I would send money to if they had a flat tire somewhere, they have no problem chirping via text message being like, oh, yeah, how's Hendon's knee doing? And it's like, I had no idea we were reaching a new level of not liking each other. Do you kind of get the sense that this new blood rivalry, if it hasn't already been born, that it's it's about the pop between these two programs? Not just football-wise, like Ryan just made. Across all athletic departments, these two pro you got Darius Rucker on stage, who is a noted <laughs> South Carolina fan, saying some not kind things about Tennessee. Do you feel that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And then the one last year that was a little bit interesting, and, and maybe there was nothing to it, but Shane Beamer sitting courtside at the Tennessee South Carolina basketball game. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's something real there between those teams. You throw in two Jalen Hyatt, a guy who didn't have the, you know, the, the big career game against the Gamecocks that maybe we thought he would last year, but a guy that's from that area that was kind of spurned by them and then came here. Um, and then you look at the last few years, Steve Spurrier was there and that brought over, you know, some natural rivalries because of what, you know, in the nineties when he was at Florida and then Will Muschamp was there for a period and we know how much Tennessee fans love Will Muschamp. So <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of different things there. And I know Tennessee's had some down stretches obviously that may, you know, affect South Carolina's record currently. 
but it's been a back and forth game, you know, a back and forth series in football for a, quite a while now. And, and again, that you can attribute that to Tennessee struggling mostly, but I think there really is something there naturally, uh, even culturally, I, you know, been down to Columbia a few times, you know, to cover games and, and there's a lot of passion there as well. Um, they're a good fit for this league. I know they've been in it now for 30 years, but I, I really like the, the kind of what they're building there between these two teams. So I think if you had to go with that third, it's kind of tough to do away with Kentucky because that's one of Tennessee's oldest exactly. uh, games played. Uh, they've got quite an edge in that series, obviously, but border war, not like there's a lot of love between those two schools either. It's a bigger one, I think, in basketball, but football's won as well since Mark Stoops has been there. Tennessee still controlled that, but he's won a few and, and brought you know a little bit more interest to that one. It's tough to do away with that one, but I think South Carolina would be a, a really good third third game for Tennessee to have there. Noah, for those gambling degenerates, as we say goodbye, Tennessee cover this spread. Heck, maybe I'm are giving you too much credit. Tennessee beats South Carolina, right? Yeah, I think they do. And, okay. uh, I, you know, earlier when you guys were talking about the spread, I think a huge factor is that crowd. And I think if this was at a neutral site or in Columbia, I this may be obvious, I'd feel a lot better going with South Carolina probably. But I think that plays a huge factor. Like Josh Heupel said this week, it's, you know, the players are not going to play into the whole revenge factor. And we kind of expected that going in. I thought maybe somebody would slip up here or there to talk about it, but they didn't. And the players are, are doing a really good job of, of kind of quelling that concern. But the fans, it means a lot to them, given mm-hmm. what happened last year. And Josh Heupel said in the teleconference yesterday, go for it. You know, go at it. I think that that's going to – I don't know. It, it's not going to top what we saw against Alabama last year in Neyland, but it's going to be the best atmosphere we see probably this year outside of that Georgia game, depending on how Tennessee goes into that game and what they look like. I think that plays a, a massive factor in, in Tennessee's favor on Saturday. Ryan, I'm getting more ticket requests in my text messages than some, than a, a concert happening at Smokey's Park Thursday night. Hashtag justice for Hendon is what people are sending me on Twitter. Tennessee wins this game, right? And I'm with you. When I first saw the 11 and a half, I went, okay, more like six and a half. And I'm not trying to tell you how much skin I have in this, but I've leaned one way and it's shoot the messenger i i'm not i think it's a closer game than we'll just say 11 and a half 12 and a half brother i i think it'll be a closer game than a double digit win but i'm still confident that tennessee comes out with a win in this one for a lot of the reasons i mentioned of why that line might be as high as it is with some of those kind of mismatches that favor tennessee and also what noah just mentioned uh, i think the home field uh, advantage is something that's been real for josh heupel I, God, the last time they lost at home is probably Ole Miss in 21, unless I'm forgetting a game. Uh, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia 21. For that game. Yeah, so Georgia 21. But either way, it's been since the 21 season. They went undefeated at home last year, uh, and they, it's not like they played some, some chumps at home throughout the entire season, obviously, Alabama. So I think that plays into it as well. Yeah, if, if I had to pick a side of the line, I would say South Carolina covers. But if I'm picking a money line, I'm, I'm going balls all day. I think what the guys are trying to say is, why don't we look at the total instead of looking at the spread? <laughs> Just me. Just yeah. me. That's Ryan. That's Noah. $9.99 a month gets you all the insight, injuries, recruiting, what you need to know about Tennessee football, especially when it's a ma- ma- massive game week at Neyland Stadium. It's dark mode. 
I know everybody wants tickets, so maybe cash in some of those favors for Noah, for Ryan, Tyler, checkerboard chatter. Next time we chat, likely going to be a Tennessee victory over South Carolina. Have a good weekend.